Welcome to Have You Heard? My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich. I'm the Executive Director of AABP. This episode of Have You Heard is brought by to you by the AABP Lameness Committee. And joining us, our guests, Dr. Annie Murphy, previous chair of the Lameness Committee, and current member of the Lameness Committee, Dr. Karen Orsall. They're going to talk about treatment of digital dermatitis, a very common disease on dairy farms and feedlots and cow-calf operations. Stay tuned for more information. Welcome to our show, Annie and Karen. I'm pleased that our Lameness Committee has developed this podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Lameness Committee when we close out this show. Go ahead and introduce yourself, please, Annie. Thanks for having me, Fred. So I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire, and I had a 4-H sheep project. I went to undergrad at Virginia Tech, where I was an animal and poultry sciences major. And then I graduated from Cornell Vet School in 2005. Upon graduation, I moved to Vermont and joined a somewhat large all-dairy practice. After a few years, I switched to a different practice in the same area, also doing mostly dairy cattle. After a few years there, my employer took a teaching position and I was left a solo vet, which I have been a solo dairy vet for the past eight years. My clients' farms range in size from 50 cows to 1,400 milking. I have a couple of grass-fed organic dairies, a few beef clients, and one sheep flock among my clients. I have a special interest in lameness, and I am the former chair of the AABP Lameness Committee. Thank you, Annie. Karen, can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thank you, Fred, for having me. I'm Karen Orsel. I'm born, raised, and trained in the Netherlands. I worked my whole life in bovine medicine, and my main interest has been on disease spread, understanding interventions, and did some advanced training as an epidemiologist. I've always, after a year in practice, worked in academia, and since 2008, I'm training the next generation vets at the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine in Calgary, and recently joined the Lameness Committee of AABP. I want to thank you both, not only for your time on this podcast, but for volunteering your valuable time to our Lameness Committee. Our organization really thrives and runs on volunteers. So thank you so much, and thank you for your time today to talk about digital dermatitis. So let's start and talk about how important digital dermatitis is as a cause of lameness in both beef and dairy cattle. I'll jump in and talk a little bit about how important it is in dairy cattle. It's a big deal. Most dairy cattle vets are well-versed in digital dermatitis, but it might be surprising for some to learn that it was only first described about 50 years ago by Dr. Mortolaro in Italy in 1972. So shortly after it was first described, it was reported in confinement dairies, which is animals that are mostly housed indoors, but it is now reported pretty much around the world. In a NOMS survey of U.S. dairy farms prior to 2017, digital dermatitis accounted for 61.8% of lameness in bred heifers and 49.1% of lameness in cows. 
Digital dermatitis has been reported in 95% of dairies milking 500 or more cows. And what I can add to that is from a Canadian perspective is that in our own study in Alberta, we found that pretty much all but one dairy farm had at least one cow that had DD. And within farms, around 20% of the cattle were affected. So I think we can easily conclude that their digital dermatitis is here to stay. Unfortunately, that becomes the new reality for our beef cattle as well. Especially in some parts of North America, digital dermatitis has become a common disease in feedlots. And every now and then we also get reports of cow-calf herds on pasture affected with digital dermatitis. And also I wanted to, and I maybe should have asked this before we started, because digital dermatitis is also called some other names by producers and some veterinarians. Karen, what are some of those maybe layman's terms that are used to describe this syndrome? I can build on what Annie just mentioned about Dr. Mortelato identifying disease, and that's one of the names, Mortelato's disease. But what is more common is hairy heel warts or strawberry foot rot, and that is mainly related to the clinical presentation. The redness and the ulcerative lesions at the foot of the animal that gives it its nicknames. But let's agree to stick with DD. Sure, that makes sense. What what causes digital dermatitis? Is there is there a specific pathogen that's been implicated? It seems an easy question, but the answer is actually quite complicated because at first the treponemes, certain types of bacteria, were most commonly identified and we thought that we had identified the cause of the disease. But the more research we do, the more information we get and the more we learn about this challenging disease being multifactorial. So many different factors need to be happening at the same time, as well as many different bacteria. For example, in one of our own studies, besides the treponemes, we found mycoplasma, fusobacterium, porphyromonas, bacteroides, so many different bacteria, including gram-negative bacteria that all play a role. Unfortunately, not an easy, easy question to answer, but what causes digital dermatitis is preferred environment, skin that is susceptible and then the presence of this list of bacteria. Does that mean that the disease is infectious and contagious? Fred, that has become my favorite question to grad students working on this topic, because I think I would like them to answer, depends, because we don't have this causation, but we do know that without the bacteria, the disease doesn't uh, present itself. However, if we want to induce this disease, and many people have tried that, Gomez and Kroll and uh, Thomas, and they reported that models where we try to induce the disease need way more than just the bacteria to, uh, to have the disease. So it's a multifactorial disease with an infectious component. And that is a great answer, and I'm going to give a little tip to any veterinary students that are listening to this. If you're in clinics and you get asked a question by a clinician, you can always say it depends, but you should have some some follow-up to your answer with that. But that's almost always a good answer if you are a veterinary student caught, caught in the crosshairs of a question. Let's talk about vaccination. That's certainly been 
a complicating issue and something that a lot of producers would like an answer for. So is there a vaccine? Is there a potential for a vaccine for this disease? Many research groups have looked at the potential for developing a vaccine for digital dermatitis, as that has been an intervention that is really important. However, I personally don't believe that a vaccine is going to make all the difference because it cannot target all the bacteria that are playing a role in this disease. And I think we have to learn how to manage digital dermatitis better and work on preventive strategies more so than solely relying on a vaccine. So maybe one day a vaccine becomes available that can aid in the prevention, but I don't think it will be the solution to our challenge. There are a lot of risk factors for the disease. You mentioned, Karen, that it's multifactorial. What are some of the risk factors that explain why groups of animals are affected with digital dermatitis? First of all, let's look at the animal. There are some breed differences and also some conformation differences. Hoof conformation and food angles seem to have played a role in whether or not an animal is more susceptible to digital dermatitis. However, for beef, this relationship has not been, been, we have not been able to identify this relationship. What we do know, though, is that besides the animal, the environment is very important. And humidity, walking in slurry, or even on pasture, if the pasture is very wet, it has an impact on skin integrity. And with that on, it's a risk factor for digital dermatitis. I think the animal, the environment, it all makes a difference whether or not an animal develops the disease. Karen, we talk about that there's a potential genetic variation within the breed as well as breed differences. And I know there was a paper published in the journal Dairy Science that we'll include in our show note about those genetic parameters for hoof lesions and their relationship with feet and leg traits in Canadian Holstein cows. How does that play into our conversation today? I think it's very important to know that there is genetic variation because if there is genetic variation, it allows us to select for the preferred traits. Unfortunately, there is low heritability, so it does mean that it needs a lot of effort to make some improvement. But with the variation that is available, I think there is an opportunity for genetic improvement through this selection long term. And Annie... Veterinarians are often called to either write protocols for treating digital dermatitis or treating individual cows themselves. Let's talk a little bit about in your daily practice, how do you diagnose digital dermatitis? And then is it important to lift the foot or have the cow restrained in some way, clean the foot, etc.? How do you approach those individual lame cows? So digital dermatitis is very painful and makes cows lame. So generally we're presented with a lame cow and then looking to diagnose that lameness. The animal will often try to keep weight off the back of the foot while walking because the lesion is between the heel bulbs. So it can sometimes be diagnosed by visual inspection, especially if it's been going on for a bit. And there are the hair-like projections that lead to the name hairy heel wart. There's also the strawberry foot rot appearance which is another descriptive name that refers to the red ulcerated patch of skin at the caudal medial margin of the heel bulbs that you will sometimes see. So as I mentioned, the lesion is very painful. If you try to wipe any manure slurry off the heel bulbs to see if there is a lesion, and there is indeed a lesion, 
you'll know it before you see it because you will have been kicked already. So definitely recommend restraint from making a diagnosis. So once a lame animal is identified in a herd and the foot is suspected as the cause of the lameness, it's best to have the animal properly restrained, clean off the heel, make a diagnosis, and then you've already got her restrained so you can treat her. And if it's something else going on in the hoof, you also have restraints, so you can treat that as well. So let's talk about treatment. How? What are some approaches for treating digital dermatitis in that individual animal that's lame? I'm going to get into a little bit of recent history on that. So historically, number one, which is still number one always, clean the area. Historically, we would apply antibiotics, which was usually tetracycline or lincomycin, and some people would put a wrap on that as well. So these antibiotics were over-the-counter and readily available to trimmers. About six years ago, veterinary feed directives became law in the U.S., and this restricted access to over-the-counter antibiotics used to treat digital dermatitis. To be clear, tetracycline powder was not banned, but is now only available through a veterinary prescription. So trimmers can continue to have access to antibiotics on specific farms if a veterinarian prescribed tetracycline for extra-labeled drug use at a specific dosage, two to five grams, to treat digital dermatitis on that farm. Trimmers do not have access to tetracycline powder to carry around from farm to farm. Tetracycline is labeled for other uses in cattle, so there is a legal residue of 300 parts per billion in milk. Since lincomycin has no labeled uses in cattle, there is no legal residue. So the the legal limit is zero. Therefore, its extra label use is fairly risky. Um, Because of this, the industry began searching for a non-antibiotic viable alternative to treat digital dermatitis. A plethora of antibiotic-free products began to appear in trim shoots to treat digital dermatitis. The Lameness Committee wanted to provide a resource for veterinarians to know if a product marketed for treatment of digital dermatitis has peer-reviewed data supporting its efficacy and any potential residues. So that is why we developed the Topical Digital Dermatitis Treatment Summary. So this is Stop. Sorry. This information can be found on the website and hopefully will also be in the show notes. It's under committee resource files. By the way, lots of committees have lots of great resources. So if you want to check other ones out while you're there, that's wonderful too. I'm just going to walk through a little bit about how this was developed. And I do want to give Dr. Gerard Kramer credit for doing the bulk of the work on this one. There There was a lot of of products to go through to see what was out there um, for efficacy information. So if you are looking at the document, we have the product name, active ingredient, dosage, efficacy, evidence quality, meaning the quality of evidence to back up if it is effective or not, if a foot bath was used during the treatment study, and if the product was evaluated for milk residues. We have a few pages of products with some evidence behind them. And then there's a page of quite a few products with absolutely no evidence behind them. And it was interesting going through this and looking at products and contacting companies to see what evidence they had. 
some of them were really, I <laughs> perfectly happy to say, no, no evidence at all. Just try it. So I, I found that to be a little bit interesting. In my own practice, when tetracycline first became prescription, there was some promising data about salicylic acid powder. It was cheap. So I bought a bunch and mixed it with hand lotion to create a paste and gave it out to all of my clients. And nobody asked for more. So the peer review data looked good. My clients thought otherwise. I will say a trimmer just asked me if I had any last week. So we'll see if he has any success with it. I do want to point out that I currently see no reason not to use tetracycline powder in heifers. They're not in danger of having a milk residue and hopefully not in danger of a beef residue. So I'm fortunate in that as a solo vet who's been in practice for a while, I know my clients really well, as well as their trimmers, and I'm comfortable having tetracycline powder on the farm. That isn't to say that's the only product my clients are using. People don't want to use antibiotics if they don't have to. The use of tetracycline powder to treat digital dermatitis and any possible withholds should be established in consultation and with a prescription from the vet of record. For me, this project for the Lameness Committee coming up with this document was a good opportunity to survey my clients to see what they're using and what they think is working as well as talking to trimmers. Side note, I encourage our members to have conversations with clients and trimmers about treatment and prevention of digital dermatitis, as well as anything else the trimmer might want to tell you about what they're seeing on the farm. I know for me, often vet appointments are not the same day that the trimmer is there, but if I can cross paths with the trimmer, I find they're always eager to chat about what they're seeing on the farm and how we can work together to tackle problems. Yeah. And, and Annie, I just want to thank you and the Lameness Committee for developing that document. We will include a link to the Lameness Committee resource files in the show notes. As she said, if you are an AABP member and you go to the AABP website and under the committee page, you'll see committee resource files and just click lameness and you'll see all of them there. This is the first one in the list. There's also a foot bath design, a foot bath dosage calculator. This document that Annie first mentioned, if you go to the last page five, they also list about, oh, it looks like a dozen products that have no published peer-reviewed data. And a lot of times when you're asked questions by clients, what do you think about this product, Doc? It's nice to be able to give them some evidence-based research. This is a really great resource for our AABP members. And, and why we're talking about foot, can we use foot baths to treat multiple animals? So the short answer is no. Foot baths, this is a pet peeve of mine because we'll see a lot of warts on a farm and a client will say, oh, I've got to run the foot bath more, which is true, but you also have to pick up all of those feet that are currently laying. So unfortunately, foot bathing is not a great option for mass treatment. It is a great option for preventing the disease. And as Fred mentioned, we have some resources on the AABP website and also the University of Wisconsin has some great resources on foot bath design and products use. And I think actually our website might link to theirs for some of those resources. Now, as we wrap up here, we know that prevention, and we talked about foot baths for prevention, and really encourage our listeners to look at those 
foot bath design and foot bath dosage calculators that we have on the Lameness Committee website, which are from the University of Wisconsin. Let's talk about stopping the introduction or having outbreaks in our cattle. If you're a dairy farmer and let's say you really don't have uh, digital dermatitis, which would be unusual, or you have a very low rate of it, how can we prevent these blow-ups where we have a lot of lameness in a herd? Thank you, Fred, for allowing me to, to talk a little bit more about prevention. And I think what is really important is that a lot of diseases are introduced in a herd with animals that are bought in. So I think when animals are bought in, it might just be worth doing a health check, including lifting a foot or possibly quarantine animals to make sure that you're not introducing an animal that brings in digital dermatitis. Another thing that people should maybe think about a little bit more is the moment an animal shows lameness, it needs an intervention. And don't wait till the trimmer has time to come, which might be two weeks later, but really try to address the moment lameness is identified, what's going on and what treatment is needed. I think what is very important is that early in intervention can resolve the DD lesion, where a chronic lesion might just not heal to complete health again. Often you need to assign someone the job of looking for lame cows and deal with it as soon as you can. With early interventions, you might be able to keep the, the level of digital dermatitis within your herd low. And when you keep that controllable, you might just have less lame cows to deal with and hopefully can strive for a DD-free herd. I want to thank you both so much for participating in this podcast today. Lameness is such a huge opportunity for veterinarians, both beef and dairy veterinarians, and certainly digital dermatitis is one big opportunity for veterinarians to make an impact for their producers as well as the cows. I remember when I had a non, I had a guest at a dairy with me, and this person saw a cow with digital dermatitis and was very concerned that the cow broke her leg. This is a very painful disease and one that requires our attention. We don't want to normalize lame cows, especially on our dairy farms. We are all aware that our dairies have an unacceptable rate of lameness, and digital dermatitis is certainly one of the major factors causing lameness on dairy farms. So make sure that you are treating those cows properly uh, as our guests walk through today. Make sure you understand the pathogenesis of the disease and the multiple risk factors for it. And make sure that you're implementing good prevention programs. Take advantage of the resources on the AABP website in regards to lameness. And if you are interested in this topic and you're interested in lameness, beef veterinarian, dairy veterinarian, or both, consider joining the Lameness Committee. If you go to the committee page on the AABP website, there is a button there that you can email the committee with your interests. Just give us a brief bio statement about who you are and your interest in joining the lameness committee, what that will be. And then I will forward that to the board of directors for approval. We're always looking for volunteers to help develop these resource documents and divide up the labor a bit. Annie and Karen, thank you so much for talking to our listeners today about digital dermatitis. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. And I just want to also encourage members, if they're interested in a topic, don't hesitate to join a committee. You don't need to be an expert on a topic to be on the committee. 
And it's really useful to have people in general practice that are seeing these things on a daily basis to know how the committee can better serve practitioners. Thanks. Thank you, Fred. And thank you, Annie.